Hello. This is episode four of the podcast called Blood and Rain. I'm your host, Arthur Dane. As someone who used to never meditate, I want to make this absolutely clear. If you want one habit to implement that will change your life, this is the one. Meditation is so much more than sitting in silence. You learn to control your thoughts. When negative thoughts arise, you gain the ability to let them pass right on through. Step one, find a comfortable place to sit. I personally prefer sitting on the floor with my back against the wall, but find what works for you. Just don't lay down. Trust me, you'll fall asleep if you do. Step two, ensure silence. Noises will distract you. Some background sound is okay. Just don't try to meditate in a super loud area. Step three, add ambiance. This is where you can be creative. You can add ambient sounds, music, essential oils, or even just a shot of air freshener. Anything you can do to make the experience more enjoyable will help. Step four, this is my advice on how to begin to meditate. As you sit, imagine yourself sitting on the edge of a cliff overlooking an enormous highway. Every time a thought enters your mind, assign it to a car. As the car drives out of your field of vision, let the thought go with it. Don't judge your thoughts as good or bad. That isn't the point. The point is to learn how to not dwell on thoughts. Do this for however long you are comfortable. It might be one minute, it might be 15. It is completely up to you, but with practice, you can increase that number dramatically. Step five. After this, do a body scan. Start from the top of your head and focus on it. Notice any pains or sensations that you feel. After that, move down to your face, then your neck, shoulders, and so on all the way down to your feet. Not only will this help you develop focus, but it will also help you develop to understand the nuances of your body even more. This is especially helpful if you work out regularly because you will be able to identify your soreness much easier and will in turn be able to know if you worked out correctly. Remember, don't be ashamed if this is difficult for you at first. Everyone begins at a different stage. Practice every day. You will be amazed at how clear your mind becomes. So that was a post written today, January 27th, 2021, by a content creator who has recently splashed on the scene in this sort of circle of pages, for lack of a better term, called Gallantry Fuel. And today, the man behind Gallantry Fuel is the first guest on the Blood and Rain podcast. His name is Sawyer, and I'm very excited for you to hear his perspective. Welcome to the show, Sawyer. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's my absolute pleasure, man. Um, so last week, uh, Sawyer and I you know, got on the phone just to sort of touch base and sort of have a more organic way of speaking on certain ideas and certain thought processes behind these content creation pages that have been sort of emerging since roughly December of last year. Obviously, some are older than others. But um, I wanted to have Sawyer on here today to sort of talk about his motivation behind starting a page, some of his background, um, some of his philosophy, where he sees his page going. So, Sawyer, um, I guess we could start with 
what was the inspiration behind the name Gallantry Fuel? Why did you start it? And, you know, what was what sort of tugged at your soul to get going? Yeah, so at the start, I was beginning to jump into my own self-improvement journey, for lack of a better term. And one of the people that I really enjoyed was Forrest Munden. And uh, when I learned about his podcast, uh, Backbuilders, that was something that I really latched on to because it was the first sort of podcast that I've heard that I had heard about, you know, masculine traits and virtues and honor and things like that. So in one of his most recent episodes, he talks about he uses the word ascensioners to describe, uh, as you were talking about, these new accounts that are tapping into this masculine self-improvement sort of energy. And he made it a point to discuss that anyone can do it. You know, if you have the ability and the knowledge, there's no reason why you shouldn't try to uh, spread that knowledge around. And that really struck me because social media has always been something that I struggled with in the sense that it takes up a lot of my time. Well, it took up a lot of my time. I've definitely improved since then, but I realized that I had this huge platform that I could be utilizing for not only my own benefit, but for the benefit of others. So that was what really inspired me to do it. And I began this page on January 1st. So it was a great way to add a bit of a New Year's resolution context into it. And uh, as far as the name goes, that was something that I tossed around for about an hour or so. Um, I had originally intended to go with uh, masculinity fuel, but I figured that doesn't really roll off the tongue that well. So (laughs) I whipped out the old thesaurus and uh, gallantry fuel was born. That's phenomenal, man. That's, that's awesome. You know, that's Forrest Munden is sort of, I feel like the starting point for us young guys, like he was the first one to go, you know, get through the door and get bloody a bit for us to sort of see that, like, you know, you can be one of these younger guns. You don't have to be at this age of, you know, of a sage to get started. You can sort of lead the charge with someone with being someone a bit more relatable to the age bracket. Um, and actually, I actually saw your page. It was recommended on Forrest Munden's store. He said, potential new similar-minded account, Galaxy Fuel. And I saw a couple of your posts. I was like, oh, he's not wrong. This is a fantastic follow. So um, that's when you, your, uh, your page sort of got on my radar. And I, I love that, um, I love that uh, you know, with that southern drawl of yours, you know, rolling off the tongue was sort of a motivation for picking a name. And I love <laughs> Galaxy Fuel. It certainly does roll off the tongue big time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. So us, us Southerners have a, have a slight difficulty with long words. So we try to make it as easy as possible. <laughs> a friend of mine from Texas, actually at one point, he, um, he showed me a, a clip of Earl Campbell explaining why Southerners speak so slow. It's like, it's too hot. You know, it's, it's too hot to be speaking too fast. We got to take the time. And that gave me, uh, gave me quite a <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So speaking, speaking of that Southern drawl and speaking of sort of origins, um, what's, what's your background like? Where are you from? You know, what, 
what were what was the sort of village you were raised in? Some of the ideals you were raised in? Some of the disciplines? Like what what's where, where'd your story start and how to get going and to where where you're, where you're at now? Well, I was I've been living in Alabama all my life. Uh, now I, I've never had sexual intercourse with my cousin, but uh, <laughs> I embody all of the other aspects of living in Alabama. You know, um, I, I also do not like country music very much. But other than that, um, so I grew up in a very uh, religious household. And the thing about my upbringing was that that I find the most impactful was that. But my parents, who are absolutely amazing people, they, they led me in such a way that my religion was not forced upon me. They took me to church every week obviously but (laughs) it was always well what do you believe how do you feel about this it was never this is what you have to do if you don't do it you're going to hell you know there was always the the aspect of this is your own idea this is something that needs to be from your own perspective this can't be something that you do just because your parents did it so that was definitely a big, had a big impact on my life. And then outside of that, um, you know, I've always been a big, uh, I've always enjoyed learning and that was something that helped me through my schooling. Uh, I always did pretty well in school, not necessarily because I enjoyed school itself, but I was able to latch on to the things that were being taught to me. Uh, so that made learning in a school context a lot easier now getting out of that and being in college now, uh, that's definitely something that has improved in my life is the quality of the knowledge that I'm getting. And then outside of that, uh, I've always been a basketball player pretty much ever since I was able to walk around. I've been really tall all my life. I'm six foot eight at the moment. And Hopefully that's going to you know, slow down a little bit. I've hit my head on enough door frames as it is, but uh, I've been playing basketball all my life. And thankfully I had the opportunity to get a walk on spot at a uh, D one college right now. So uh, that's been an incredible experience. And it was something that I was incredibly hesitant first to do because you know I wasn't sure if I was ready for that. I'm not, you know, I am tall, but I'm by no means athletic. And so that was something that I was wary of. But, you know, I bit the bullet and I tried it and I'm doing pretty well so far. Uh, as good as a walk on can do, but I'm seeing tremendous improvement in not only my physical abilities, but the work is tough. You know, the physical activity is difficult at this level and not even that, but you have to have such a such a mental capacity, mental strength to be able to get through the difficulties because a lot of it ends up not being so much about what your body can endure, but how much your mind can endure. So uh, that's definitely been a, had an impact on me. And so that's sort of where my, where I try to tie in my, uh, where I try to tie in gallantry fuel to all of that is I feel like in my unique combination of experiences growing up um because i mean i'm i'm 19 years old i'm not some 
you know, sage who knows everything. I, uh, I don't have that much life experience, but I feel like I have a unique enough upbringing to where I can provide information that is helpful, uh, not only to people my own age, but just to people in general who haven't had the, the privileges that I've had as far as having, you know, a family that is church going and, you know, being able to participate in college athletics and that sort of thing. Wow. Wow. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty, like, for lack of a better term, well-rounded background, but more so in the sense that instead of, you know, today, especially with college admissions culture that I remember when I was applying for colleges a while ago, um, the well-rounded term has been shoved more to, Ooh, I check all these boxes for, you know, this state school or Ivy league or UC schools. And it's like, they're, they're doing it more so for, the resume in order to get a certain bracket to get to a certain financial bracket from that whatever bracket of college or caliber of college that they attended you have a well-rounded background in terms of sort of mind body and spirit and you had you know two stable parents that had this sort of balance of opposites when it comes to religion especially you know how religion is sort of dictated um, from what I hear um, in the American South, you know, it, it can be sort of force fed. It's like, you believe A, B, C, and D, or you're going to hell. And that's just that it's like, no, it's like, we're going to give you the discipline of going to church. We're going to give you the discipline of, I would imagine reading your Bible and praying, but on the flip side of things, they're going to give space to you to grow. And they're going to give space to you to sort of, develop your own thoughts about the things that are being preached and the things that are being taught. So you're actually getting involved and there's certain choice in the matter, because if there isn't choice in the matter, one of two things typically happens. It either, it either produces someone fanatic in their beliefs or just rigid in the beliefs without understanding the why, because there's nothing authentic in terms of connection, or they go the complete opposite when they get to college and go absolutely nuts at some party school. And, you know, go into a downward spiral of degeneracy um so that sort of background you have with uh, combined with um the body and the mind of this discipline of basketball that you have especially you know the the understanding you had that you needed to sort of take the plunge to be a walk-on like you said you weren't weren't sure whether or not you were ready for that but it's a sort of now and ever situation in terms of college sports because you're only going to be that age for so long and you're adjusting accordingly, not through the body, through the mind, even though it's a physical activity. You know, at 19 years old, you know, like you said, you may not have the most life experience in the world, but you certainly have enjoyed a number of privileges and you've capitalized accordingly as a gallant young man would. So that's I, it, I don't really think it matters. Like like you said that you're not a sage, but you um, you have enjoyed certain fruits that you feel will be best shared with people who may not have been so fortunate. And that's, that's a very gallant pursuit in itself. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Um, what would you say, you know, being 19 now, you're, I would imagine you're, you're away from your parents, you know, you've taken, you cut that cord. And now I would imagine the, the biggest authoritative figure in life would be your coach. How would you say that you're adjusting and growing and changing as a young man, you know, leaving away, you know, being away from the nest. I don't imagine being in a college where you're, you're going to be surrounded with a certain amount of degeneracy just with the nature of college. Like, how do you navigate that? 
and how do you feel it's shaping you uh, at this point in your life? Oh man, that's a fabulous question. Uh, well, thankfully, the way my situation worked out, I actually stay in my dorm about 15 minutes away from my house. So the way that, that we ended up uh, finagling that, there's a Southern word for you, uh, <laughs> is the way the walk-on scholarship worked out is I was able to get housing as well. So the way I see it is I still am able to have this connection to my parents in the sense that I don't have to miss them. You know, anytime during the day, I don't have anything going. I can go visit with my pa- with my family or if they're not home, I can go back to my nest and relax, you know. Uh, but part of the reason that I chose to stay in the dorm was because it makes it sort of creates this dichotomy between my college self and my work, for lack of a better term, self and my home self that is still you know, nostalgic about how life used to be and who is able to still connect with his parents on a daily basis. So uh, that's definitely a, another privilege that I happen to be. Uh, I don't know how I got so lucky to get it, but, you know, I'm definitely going to take advantage of it. As far as college goes, I, <laughs> I hate to throw this word around, but you're absolutely right. I've seen my share of degenerate behavior and one of the ways that I avoid this is I try to focus on focus my attention on people who give off certain auras in the sense that, you know, if you come across someone in your daily life, you can pretty well tell within about 10 seconds whether this is somebody that you want to spend uh, 10 minutes having a conversation with. And so that's a one way to, for me to tell between who I really want to spend my time with and uh, who I should try to avoid. Um, thankfully, being a, a basketball player, I'm surrounded by a really good group of guys. Um, they are all disciplined, obviously, to be playing at this level. And I would say if I had to give one tip for the general college student, it would be to immerse yourself in your studies because that is the one thing that you can control. And when you get out of high school, of uh, college, when you get out, you're never going to look back and say, man, I wish I had gone to more parties. I wish I would have blacked out drunk more. You know, you're going to look back and you're going to say, I wish I would have studied just a little bit harder for that test. And I would have gotten kept my 4.0, you know, so that's what I would say is immerse yourself in your studies and in your growth as a person. And, and I'm not saying, you know, partying in it, in a sense, no, I'm, I'm alcohol and, you know, mindless sex and things like that. That's a whole different subject. But as far as spending time with people in that context, there's nothing wrong with that as long as it doesn't interfere with what you're trying to do. Uh, but just, Keep the goal in mind as far as what you want to accomplish, the degrees that you want to get and the job that you want to have and ask yourself in as, as many situations as you find yourself, 
is this something that's getting me closer to that goal or is this something that I'm probably going to look back on and see as a mistake? Absolutely. Man. You know, what's, what's so refreshing about, you know, everything you just got into from your living situation, from, you know, your proximity to your parents, from sort of navigating like these three different aspects of yourself, like college sort of version for lack of a better term of you, the basketball version of you and, you know, the home version back, the, the version of you from back home, you know, a lot of the times with with taking the plunge into adulthood or taking the plunge to be a college student, a lot of kids, and maybe a lot of the time, like maybe this has to do with not having the best relationship with their parents, or maybe they had a relationship with their parents where the parents are overbearing and, you know, gave them far less space than your parents gave you. Um, they feel the need to like make this jump. It's like, I'm going to make this extreme leap across the country to, you know, forward myself. Anew. And if, if you are doing that, that's fine. Like I, I, I went from Oakland, California to London for school for British drama school. So I certainly made, you know, across the country and across the pond, but what's refreshing about yours. is like, you know, you said, well, I have a bit of a gradient. You know, it doesn't need to be this absolute clean break. And you have sort of this mental fortitude and discipline to sort of discern and say, it's like, yeah, I mean, I might be close to home, but, you know, I'm still developing as a man. I'm still separate enough that the growth isn't being stunted. You know, most people your age aren't going to recognize that. Most people your age are going to need that extreme in order to, you know, actually visualize that in their mind. Um and sort of the other thing you said, too, that I found really refreshing from the perspective of a college student, you know, I, I don't hear too often, you know, college students talking, talk, people graduated college saying, I wish, you know, I spent more time on my studies. I wish I spent more time as on my development as a man. I would imagine that'd be the case from a lot of student athletes or m maybe 50-50, but um you know, you, you meet a lot of people who get out of college and all they talk about with the parties like, what did you study? Like, study? Oh, I barely studied. And it's just like, whoa. <laughs> like, how is that affecting your life now? And usually the answer, you know, isn't isn't too great. So I feel like that's sort of an underlooked lesson. And, you know, being sort of taking in the sort of partying thing in moderation from college, like a little bit of that's a good thing. Like, I went to, you know, a handful of parties in England. You know, they didn't call freshmen freshmen. They called them freshers, which I got a little giggle out of. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's this, it's this very level-headed, nuanced understanding that you have of your situation and the situation around you, right down to gauging what, what kind of company you want to keep and gauging whether or not the people you meet you know, fall into that category just in conversations. You know, most people would sort of look at like a stat sheet or like, okay, let, let's let's say another basketball player on your team. You know, you, you both have the commonality of basketball, but as soon as you leave the practice, you know, you guys couldn't be further apart. You know, most people would look like, oh, this is my tribe, this sort of basketball tribe, for better or for worse. And they'll take on qualities that, you know, subconsciously they know aren't really them. You know, it's like you're gauging – your company through organic conversation. And that's a much more effective way than saying, Oh, I'm the basketball guy, or I'm the, you know, college student council guy, or I'm the debate guy, or the mock trial guy. It's like, it's, it's a much more self tailored version 
of finding your tribe rather than going through going to these traditional boxes that don't they don't always work out in terms of creating meaningful friendships oh absolutely uh i think uh an important thing to consider when you're joining a group or you're taking on a new skill or anything like that is if you begin to define yourself by the thing that you do then you you box yourself in you know if i like i'm a basketball player but i don't that's not the first thing i tell people when i see them well i mean most of the time they say hey do you play basketball but you know other than that you know i don't uh I don't claim that, you know, I think a big, a big thing to consider when you're jumping into something is, is this something that will consume me? Is this something that I will latch on to all of the, well, all that comes with it? You know, there's plenty of basketball players who are terrible people. And if you are influenced by that, you might just consider it as, well, he's a basketball player. He's a jerk to people. Maybe that's what basketball players do, you know? It's, it's, it's so, you know, it's, it's so easy, especially in today's day and age. And you and I had a couple of discussions about this already, but especially in the social media era with such a, I have so many characters. Like this is one of the, like there, there are a lot of positive things about social media. Let's just start there. This isn't a vilify social media sort of, you know, podcast but it's the it's we're sort of you know speaking on the abuse of social media and one of the abuses that spiraled into to a kind of culture that isn't really conducive to any form of growth is um this 180 character 240 whatever it is on twitter sort of contributing towards well i only have so much to say and the attention span is withered because we're dealing with such short statements you know 100 percent of the time so if he says something like this, I'm going to jump to the conclusion of this. I'm going to assign a stereotype to this. You know, th- this is how false stereotypes are developed in the 21st century in the postmodern era. And what's, what's interesting, too, it's like, you know, th- that's another thing. Once again, your, your outlook is very nuanced. You take the time to prospect. It's like, you know, for example, when I, when I got into the Orthodox Church, you know, I came from an evangelical background that, you know, maybe the church in particular was, you know, idealizing more American values more so than Christian values. And so I could have very easily been like, oh, you know, this is this is what all evangelical churches are like. And obviously that's an absolutely asinine blanket statement to make. Um, but on the flip side of things, you know, I felt I needed to change to check out orthodoxy. And, you know, people like Orthodox Christians, you know, true Orthodox Christians are very devout, very disciplined, very meditative. But, you know, upon meeting the father at this church I was going to in Oakland for the first time, he said, you know, you'll meet amazing people in the Orthodox Church. and You'll meet terrible people in the Orthodox Church. You'll meet absolute, you know, bigots. You'll meet absolute, you know, wrath consumed people. And I was like, wow. You know, this is I, I, I'm learning about his church for the first time as a whole. He's being this sort of ambassador and he's giving me the good, the bad and the ugly. Like not too many people, again, can sort of discern this sort of dynamic. Like you're saying, a lot of people can't 
you know, they, a lot of people can't have a bad experience with a person from a certain walk of life or a certain faith or from a certain area or of a certain culture and get past that and say, well, maybe they're not all like that. Or, and say, maybe, well, maybe I just had a bad experience. Maybe it's like, oh, you know, I, I met a guy who played a video game once and he was a terrible person. So I'm sure all people who play video games are just absolute people. Like when you, when you use an example like that, it really, it really puts in the light you know, how ridiculous that can sound. But even then, it's like you sort of understanding that and you're being somewhat of an ambassador for basketball players and you're setting a much better example. Not a lot of 19-year-olds can can navigate that, man. Oh, absolutely. Uh, being around them for as long as I have, I can definitely attest to that. Um, now, I do want to add, add a little preface here to the listeners that... I don't claim to be some moral harbinger. Uh, I, I try to have a very humble personality. I don't try to, you know, bite off more than I can chew. So I just want to preface that um, with if I come across like I know, like I think I know more than everybody else, I promise that is not the case. Um, and I, I'm not trying to assume anyone's intentions. I just want to put that out there. Now, going back to what we were just talking about, um, there is a noticeable lack of empaths in the world today. People like to take word and take them for exactly what they are and give them no context. There are people in your life that are going to you know, come around you and they're going to say things to you and you're going to have to discern their own background. And you're going to have to consider why they might be saying the things that they are. You know, my parents and I, you know, recently we're having a conversation about a group of people that we know or a family that we know that are incredibly rich. They came from a very rich background. And when you talk to them, they almost talk as if they're pointing their nose down at you. And a lot of people would see that and they would say, well, they're just stuck up. They're bad people. But if you come at it from the angle of, well, if they grew up with all of this money, then their parents probably acted that way around them. So that's probably why they act this way. And if you can see your conversations from that perspective, you'll be a lot less tempted to get angry at someone when you know why they are coming from where they're coming from absolutely it's you know it's it's that initial sort of prospecting you know and this sort of comes down to and this also circles back to you know that piece of yours that you wrote again brilliant piece by the way man um I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. On on uh, on meditation, you know, it's being in this sort of meditative state and sort of like you're saying, using I love I love the highway bit the most. I mean, obviously that's sort of the core element of the post itself in terms of how unique your practice is of meditation, but it's like if a negative thought comes, like letting it go with with the car, assign it to a car and let it go, it'll go off. It's like you have that sort of detachment initially you have a general state of detachment a lot of people think detachment is like the the sort of opposite of being an empath like you just said but actually it can be a tool towards being empathic because 
if you aren't detached initially, you could be reactionary and being being reactionary to certain speech patterns or to certain energies or to certain statements, you know, right from the get go can have catastrophic consequences in certain instances. It could be catastrophic in business. It could be catastrophic in a, 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 num- a number of a number of aspects. Um, you know, so understanding that first and prospecting that first before reaching some some form of not necessarily judgment, but assessment of people that you come into contact with. Um, that can be highly beneficial for understanding that, okay, maybe this person, this is the only background that they grew up in. Okay, well, this person just got to college. He's a freshman. You know, I, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with some of the richer neighborhoods of the South. Like, let's say this person, he's from Buckhead, you know, just outside Atlanta. And he's only lived in Buckhead, and he has very rich parents, and he's seen these rich parents, and that's all he's ever known. So now he's getting thrown into college as a freshman with a bunch of other people from different walks of life, you know, from different cultural backgrounds to different uh, tax brackets to different religious backgrounds. So I could be the type of person to give this guy a bit of patience, give this guy a bit of benefit the doubt, and plant seeds along the way for when he's asking for advice or plant seeds indirectly in conversation that will have him sort of start to look at, okay, you know, maybe the way I'm speaking to people isn't the right way to go about things. Maybe the perspective I'm coming from is incredibly narrow and and ultimately, you know, incredibly naive, Um, but sort of planting those seeds and helping him get there organically over time, gradually, I feel like it's far more beneficial and sort of echoes your background with your parents giving you space to make your own decisions and develop your own thoughts about the religious background you have. So it's this, it's, it's this dichotomy of like, it's, I find it funny. You like mentioned being an empath, but being an empath requires a certain level of detachment. So it's like this balance of opposites. A lot of people don't understand. And either you understand consciously or subconsciously, which I find fascinating. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, there's so many benefits that come from being able to view your thoughts uh, from a thir- from a bird's eye view perspective. You know, I have a uh, a mentor who I'm really hoping will listen to this podcast. Um, but we talk a lot about meditation and how it can impact other areas of your life. But one of the things that he always tells me is, you want to become the observer of your thoughts. You don't want to become a, you almost don't want to become the experiencer of your thoughts. You want to be able to take a step back and see them for what they are and say, is this a thought that's going to serve me? Is this a thought that's not going to serve me? And with practice, with meditation, I'm nowhere near there yet, but with practice, you you can develop the ability to see this thought and say, this isn't serving me. Next this is serving me. All right, I'm going to keep this one and so on and so forth. Absolutely. And that, that's, that's a little nuts too, because I was, something just popped in my head with the amount of wisdom that you're, that you're sharing. The next thought, as you started, was like, I wonder if at this point in his life, he has a mentor outside of, outside of a, outside of a coach or outside of parents or outside of pastor. Um, 
how did you come across this mentor of yours? You know, does he have a similar background? He or she have a similar background to you? Um, how, how, how did you how did you seek them out? How did you meet? What attracted you to them? Um, basically, the whole nine yards and your sort of current experience of mentorship. Well, it's sort of an interesting story, and I'm going to try to keep it as uh, anonymous as possible because he does not know that uh, I'm talking about him, but I'm, I'm hoping he'll enjoy hearing this. So he is actually my basketball head coach's brother. He lives um, a state or two over, but he works in the health industry, and he has a lot of experience in dealing with um, – all, all kinds of aspects of people, but he, he talked to his brother, my head coach, and he wanted to work with young men in on the basketball team because he felt that he could use his knowledge and his experience to provide some uh, a push in the right direction for these young men who are, you know, coming up into the world. You know, they feel like they're on top of the world being a D1 basketball player to sort of help them cope with, well, not even cope, help them thrive in the situation that they're in and help them learn to have mental clarity in the things that they do. And so uh, we talked initially and just hit it off. It was incredible. And he, he's been right there with me ever since the start of my college uh, path. We talk nearly every week and he has helped me he helped me develop my meditation routine. He's helped me with my nutrition, which absolutely sucked up to this point. Um, he helped me with a lot of different things. And so uh, I didn't seek him out. And that's one of the, the most incredible things about it is I, I was given access to this man. And so it's it's a privilege that I do my best to not ever take for granted. And, um, you know that's another reason, you know, it ties right back into what I was talking about earlier about my page and how not everybody gets somebody like that. So I feel like I can use this experience that I'm having and the knowledge that I'm, that's getting passed along to me to help other people. And that's one of the points that he's always making is uh, you can use the knowledge that you're getting to help others. Don't just keep it for yourself. You know, one of the, I feel like the initial instinct, and I, I've been through this thing myself, of, you know, I'm learning, you know, a number of different, you know, pieces of wisdom, a number of different um, sort of ideologies, and getting a number of different experiences that can be beneficial to others, but I had this sort of thing in the back of my head, it's like, well, some would call it imposter syndrome, but I don't think it's quite accurate and describing this sort of dynamic but saying like well i'm only you know I, I started thinking these thoughts like around 22 23 it's like i'm only 22 23 so you know who am i to really share you know i don't want to lead anyone astray um so I'm, I'm not really gonna like mentor people or share their wisdom until i feel i'm at a point in a certain age where i've quote unquote made it and um Oh yeah, and uh, just <laughs> and like that's that's the point where I will start to share wisdom. So you know, it's 
you know, this is something they see. I, I'm not a jujitsu athlete. I'm I'm purely a striker in the world of martial arts. But um, one thing I understand is that jujitsu athletes they uh they have like the patch of their coach on their gi a lot of the time. So this is sort of like passing down this this um very vocalized passing down of the knowledge, passing down of the wisdom, passing down of methods uh, to others. And, you know, a lot of jiu-jitsu guys, you know, you get to your blue belt. Sometimes blue belt will be blue belts will be showing white belts, you know, the ropes. It's just the next belt up. I think that's very refreshing because you're going to be, you're going to get benefits from learning the same, not you're going to get different benefits from learning the same objective ideas from the sage, like your mentor. And someone who's just learned it recently is only recently putting the pra- practice. It's like it's going to be two different perspectives on the same piece of knowledge and therefore a better understanding for someone who's receiving the knowledge for the first time. Uh, and I didn't understand that until very recently. And again, you, you know, you, guys like you, guys like Forrest, um, guys like uh, Nature Chad out in Croatia, who's starting his podcast soon, uh, guys like Joe Abra out in Spain, they're understanding this concept. Understanding this concept in their twenties, and I think that's what sort of makes this sort of community of pages so beneficial for guys our age, because it's like, oh, okay, well, that guy's my age, and that guy's you know exhibiting this wisdom he got from his mentor who's much older. It's like it's a much more, it's a much closer practice. Like we can, it's it's more insight. It's way, it's not further down the line of time and the line of rites of passage. Oh, absolutely. Um... You know, my my dad will always told me, uh, and you know, still does to this day. He'll, I'll come, I'll come home, and I'll because my dad played college basketball as well, so that's something that we talk about a lot. And it's so funny. I'll come home uh, on the weekends or something, and I'll I'll explain to him a concept that I heard from one of my coaches, and he'll say, "Well, how long have you been hearing that?" Talking about him. Telling this stuff to me when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old and on. <laughs> and he, he always tells me sometimes you just got to hear it from somebody else. So sometimes it's difficult to, you know, and like you said, that's that's one of the benefits of having all of these different pages that are dedicated to this sort of thing. Uh, they they provide different perspectives on different sets of issues because you you may follow some like like i followed forrest munden for years uh well relatively speaking uh and i was taking everything that he said and saying well is this something i should do is this something i should do well he's doing it well i i might should try it and i was almost trying to be him as opposed to being me and that's one of that's something that I really appreciate about this community is there are so many different people who are giving so many different perspectives that you can almost take what you feel you need from each person, each perspective and add it to your own personal self as opposed to trying to be the next. You know, people say this all the time. Don't try to be the next insert person. Try to be the first you. Absolutely. Like the, the in, everyone's got influences. And I, I mentioned this on my on my first episode of the podcast, like why I, why I was doing this. 
And I said, I felt like I had my own particular lane that I needed to express within this community. Um, and I, I, first of all, I, I really enjoy your lane quite a bit. And it just splashed on the scene, like, you know, right on New Year's Day. Um, but, and there's a bunch of things to unpack there. One of the things that I find really refreshing about Forrest as well is like, he's sort of like the first of, of all of us to really, you know, make headway in the podcast realm. But he's like making podcasts about how to start a podcast and he's trying to get other people to start podcasts. It's like, he's not one of like, no, I'm the podcast guy. Like, no one steal my thunder. He's like, no, everyone start a podcast. Like, I find that abundantly refreshing. Oh, man. I mean, there's so many people. You're, I mean, you're, you're, you hit the nail on the head right there. There's so many people who would say, well, man, I've got, I'm getting thousands of listens, you know. Hey, hey, no one, please, please, no one else start a podcast. This is my thing. Back off. <laughs> but, you know, somebody like that that's saying, no, I'm not the only one that has this kind of wisdom. There's other people that might be able to help you in different ways that I can't. So, I mean, I mean, you're absolutely right. That's such a, a refreshing thing to see. And I guess it's definitely, it's a testament to his, his, his drive to make men better and not just have a social media following. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, um, and, and this is the thing too. If like, if there's, if there's like this plethora, right. If like, I, I'm sure throughout the year, with this sort of, you know, this sort of awakening, like to, to, to get a little, I don't want to say woo woo, but like to get, you know, more of the metaphysics, <laughs> because it can be, you, you see all kinds of woo woo things. You're like, really? Okay. Interesting. Um, but th- this sort of metaphysical thing, like since the winter solstice, since the great conjunction, you know, that eight, once every 800 year instance of, of Jupiter and Saturn, it's like everyone's sort of connected all at once. It's really interesting. It's like this collection of consciousness. So I, I'm sure that, you know, February, March, April, all the way through December, there's going to be a bunch of other pages splashing on the scene. And it's going to be up to us to be sort of gracious hosts and help prop them up because the more people with a voice, you know, putting forward a lot of these positive ideas, you know, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a bunch of ideas that are going to be common that are going to become the norm, the norm that we need to manifest. And having one sort of like, you know, modern prophet being the one guy preaching the one thing. Well, what happens if he stops? What happens if he changes his mind? What happens if he if he goes sort of black pilled for back of lack of a better term? What happens if he goes through this great tragedy and you know he gets cynical and you know the tragedy overwhelms him? It's like what what happens then? Who takes the mantle then? Well, you gotta you gotta wait for the next guy to sort of develop accordingly, and that that's a gap in time. That's a gap in time where people could fall victim to cynicism as a general rule. So the more content creators out there, the more people repeating, you know, not necessarily all the same ideas, like idea for idea, you know, there's going to be a bunch of different perspectives, but as a general rule, the more those ideas become the norm, the better off we're going to be for the next generation. I feel like a lot of us through this sort of, you know, ascension movement through this sort of, you know, this movement going on, whatever it may be, because we don't, I don't, I feel like none of us really fully understand it yet, to be honest. Um, you know, the more, I, I, I feel like we have a duty to our generation to sort of fix that may have went awry through, you know, hedonism through too much abundance and stagnation. And I feel like all of us have this sort of unspoken, like, duty to ancestors to, get 
humanity back on the path. I mean, like that, that, that's a hell of a statement as I say it out loud, you know, we're going to be getting humanity back on the path of the good, but um, who, who else is going to do it? And it's, it's, it's not about uh, being one guy to be, you know, the revolutionary. It's like everyone's sort of doing their part as a collective. Like ultimately that collective is going to be greater. Not, not that's, that's the positive connotation of collective as opposed to it's like, you're going to be a cog like communism, basically. Um, it's that that's the positive flip side of the collective in that regard. Um, so all ships will rise. The idea, the good ideas will become the norm, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I saw something that was really interesting, uh, and for the life of me, I can't, I was sitting there trying to think of it. I cannot remember what it was called, but it was this, it was this image. Uh, it was like circulating around these accounts, but it was talking about, uh, I think it, it said like ancestral math at the top of it, but it was like, you're going to have, uh, you have two parents, you have four grandparents. It was going like all the way up the chain to like 40,000 or some ridiculous number like that. And, you know, sitting here talking about this, if we, we might not think that we're making much of a difference in trying to instill these values in ourselves and, you know, down the line in our children, but when you think about it from a, from an ancestral perspective, you know, we're going to be those ancestors that our great, great, great grandchildren are going to be wanting to honor. So I feel like in in doing this, uh, in trying to instill these morals in us, in the people around us and our children, you know, we're going to have a lot bigger of an a lot larger of an impact than a lot of us can grasp right now. Big time, man. Big time. You know, that that's sort of the counter to the black pill that I'm sure all of us at some point was like, well, I'm just like one guy. Like, what does it really matter? If, you know, if, if, you know, if, if I, you know, just live a life of watching Netflix and, you know, going through the motions of a nine to five job that, you know, not, there's nothing wrong with a nine to five job, but like doing it for the reason it's just going through the motions, droning. Again, that's sort of the negative aspect of the collective. Um, you know, this this circles back to you know again we're honoring Forrest Munden quite a bit for being this sort of pioneer he, he had in a story the other day we are the new ancestors like the ancestral math like our children our grandchildren our great-grandchildren so on and so forth it's going to have such a ripple effect with the work that we do now and every generation has that opportunity and we can't waste ours it's it's imperative that we don't absolutely Absolutely. Like today, I, I learned, I mean, I'm, I, I don't, I don't, I feel like this actually be a good question. Like how, how attuned are you with your ancestry? Like, do, do you know a lot? Or are you learning now? Or do, do you have any grasp of that at the moment? Uh, unfortunately, no. Uh, that's never really been something that I've delved too deep into. Uh, I know as far as that goes, the ancestors that I try to honor are p- people that I knew growing up, like my grandfather who passed away, my uh, my great grandfather who I didn't get to meet but have heard stories about that inspire me. So I find it a lot more realistic, uh, and this may just be me, but I find it a lot more realistic to consider people that you knew in your life. And say, or even even people that are alive, they're still alive today. See, these people, I'm carrying these people's name with me. And I see the things that, now assuming they're good people. But 
I see the good things that they did, the torch that they carried, and I want to honor that with the things that I do. See, I feel like, again, that's like circling back to like the sage versus like the young 20-year-old, you know, exhibiting the same wisdom. It's like it's it's much more in your face. Like you can grasp that right in front of you. There's there's more literal to gauge on rather than you're sort of estimating. You're sort of reading and praying and, you know, meditating on what your ancestors might have been. Like you can know culturally, but not necessarily. You won't have all the information. So going off of what you have directly in front of you, your ancestors, a lot of, a lot of people aren't going to look as your as their grandparents' ancestors. Like, no, they are your ancestors. Like they're alive, but they're still your ancestors. Um, so I think that that's actually a pretty unique perspective. Um, because me, me, me personally, like I'm, I'm getting into, you know, knowing, so my, my father is of, uh, is of Spanish, but typically actually Canarian, Canary Islands background, which are these islands off the coast of Africa. And then my mother's, you know, French Basque, Piedmontese and Sicilian. So, you know, I'm getting to know these cultures, you know, their ancestry. Um, so that I'm coming from that angle, but I find that again, refreshing that you're sort of looking at them. What, what do you see more in front of you? And you're not wasting it. You're not wasting what's in front of you. It, there, there, I haven't heard a single instance from you where you're wasting what's directly in front of you. And that lesson alone, you, you, you can do a whole podcast on that alone, honestly. Oh, you definitely could. And I try to live my life in such a way. And this is something that I've, I've learned a lot from my parents, but even just seeing the older people around me who have, you know, gone through these things and live with regret is I don't want to live with no regrets in the sense that I want to try everything I can and, you know, do these death defying things. But I just want to, I want to live knowing that I gave all that I had and I took advantage of everything that I had. Uh, I saw a video today, uh, coincidentally, where Kobe Bryant, you know, rest in peace. This is the anniversary of his death. But um, he, he was discussing that and he was talking about how he never wanted to look back and say, I wish I'd done more. I wish I'd trained harder. I wish I would have gotten in the gym more. And that's a, that's a perspective that's, you know, I, I still don't <laughs> quite grasp being you know, as young as I am, but at the same time, I try to do my best to see into the future in a way and say, well, when I'm 30, am I going to look back and say, I wish I had, you know, insert whatever it is, studied more, you know, hung out with friends more, spent more time with family, that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that lesson can be applied to not just physical disciplines, that, that can be applied to everything that you're saying. Like all that you have around you that a lot of people are going to take for granted. You're not taking anything for granted, and that's incredible. Um, you know, I, I, I posted a Kobe video yesterday, rest in peace to, to him and his young daughter. Um, but, you know, that, that's, that's, that's a guy who exhibited, you know, in, in a medieval ancient level of work ethic and discipline. You don't see too often nowadays. Um, so that – yeah, man, that's a. I think I think I think that's a, a lesson to. Uh, I, I feel like that's a core lesson to take away the the application of 
not living with regrets doesn't always have to be with the disciplines and tasks of the day. It could be with all the fruits you have around you in the form of family, in the form of a place that you live, in the form of a country that you love. You know, that's that's powerful. That's gallant. <laughs> hey, very, very. Awesome, man. So we uh we got a number of questions from the so the Instagram story I tagged you in. Um, a number of questions, you know, guys, you, to all you listeners, you never disappoint with these questions. I'm impressed every week and I'm always excited to, uh, to answer, but I'm particularly excited to answer them this week in having two different perspectives from, a, from, a, from similar minds uh, for this episode of the podcast. So we'll, we'll get one question out of the way right from the get go. Uh, that was just asked for you of what martial arts do you train? <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's not something that I have been too into. Uh, now, there's a guy that preaches around this area who I love, and he is always talking about uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and how it's impacted his life. And that's something that, you know, when my basketball days are over and I have more time on my hands, is definitely something that I, I would – consider doing uh at the moment as far as you know martial arts and self-defense go uh now this may be a bit of a, a you know there's that meme of the guy walking up the stairs and he has one foot on the floor and one foot reaching all the way up to the top stair and that's probably what this <laughs> is but i've considered uh getting my concealed carry license uh recently now that i'm of age or at least going to uh, going to the local range and shooting a little bit to sort of get a feel for having a weapon in my hands because that's something I see in a lot of these pages talking about you know make yourself weaponize yourself make yourself someone who has the ability to do damage if necessary. So to answer the question, I don't have an an opinion on martial arts yet because I don't really have any experience. But from what I've heard, you know, I think it's an incredible way to develop yourself not only physically but mentally and knowing that you have the ability to you know take somebody's lunch money if you need to <laughs> absolutely man in terms in terms of martial arts like I, I again i come from a striking background i've done like two jujitsu classes ever i'm, I'm eventually going to make some transition into mixed martial arts and will have to consistently grapple but if I were to recommend a martial art for just everybody, I, w- I would actually choose jujitsu. Not to betray my Muay Thai guys, but um, I would choose jujitsu because they have more of a community going on, in my opinion. And um, you're able to spar at a much higher percentage of intensity without any brain damage being involved. Like you, you see boxers who hard spar twelve rounds a day, and they can barely. They sound like Sylvester Stallone. It's it's not good. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so I would always recommend doing jujitsu. You, you'll be much better at, you know, you'll be much, you'll walk with much more confidence for if, if someone puts hands on you. And then in terms of concealed carry, that's something I have to get on myself in terms of training with firearms. I, I did it in Boy Scouts briefly, but I haven't done it anywhere near enough. So that's, that's definitely a discipline I'm going to cultivate as well. Uh, I think that's an honorable discipline to be able to big, big, big second amendment supporter. Um, but, um, you know, in general, I think it's always good to be capable of combat 
for the sake of defending, you know, defending the innocent, defending honor, as opposed to being malicious in intent. Um, right, uh, right, right. So the next question. Um, and then, uh, go ahead. Uh, oh, I was just going to say, uh, kind of throwing something, uh, a bit of humor into there. It was so funny. Back in the day, I used to listen to, uh, you know, now before I knew the kind of person that he was, I used to listen to Bill Cosby all the time. You know, I would sit and with my grandmother, we would listen to those tapes and just laugh for hours. But he, he talked about um, learning karate. And he said, man, I would just I got to the point where I would walk down dark alleys with ten dollar bills hanging out of my pockets, just begging somebody to come take one. <laughs> Yeah, man. <laughs> I I know guys like that. Don't be that guy, you know. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You catch a a bullet to the back of the head faster than you can pull the money out of your yeah, pocket. Like I, I forgot what movie it was. It's like you just brought a gun to a bomb fight. There's always someone with a one up. So don't 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 go tempting fate, you know. Um, right. Next question. Uh, I'll I'll let you I'll let you take the lead. You know, like sort of the first answer in all these questions and see the guess. Um, if you would recommend everyone who follows you to read one book, what would it be? And that, that's a, that's a really good question. And thankfully I was able to see these questions before. And, uh, I took a cursory look at all of them and then, uh, closed it because I didn't want to put too much effort into it so that I would make the conversation more organic. This one, I definitely sat down and had to think about because, you know, people who know me will know that I haven't always been much of a reader. Uh, I, I used to read a lot as, when I was like a lot younger in my like t- 10, 11, 12, that age. But as I got older, it was just something that I never really made. I'm not going to say had time for because I, I definitely did. I just never made time for. And I always attributed that to, you know, having, I always thought I had some kind of, uh, attention deficit disorder, which I don't, but I I always thought that I could not focus for that long. And so I would just learn from YouTube videos like everybody else. And, uh, but, but I've begun a process of trying to read more and trying to, because, because reading is different from other forms of learning in the sense that you, you see everything as it is created so you don't, you know, like you were talking about earlier with Twitter, you see these, you know, 180 character sentences that can be taken out of context, can be taken in the right context in some instances. But with a book, you get to see all sorts of perspective from the author. And so uh, that was a bit of a tangent, but I would definitely say that reading has impacted my life. And if I had to pick one book that I've read, it would be not to be too recent recency biased, but it would definitely be atomic habits. You know, that's something um, I, I listened to that audio book, not to, not to flex any, but I listened to that audio book in one day just because it was so powerful. The stuff was speaking to me so much. I mean, he talks in that book, he talks about taking your habits and you don't have to brute force your habits you don't have to uh you know one of the things that he talks about in the book is quitting video games that's a habit that a lot of people have an issue with but you don't have to say 
I'm never going to touch my video game console again. You can say, every time I get done playing this game, I'm going to unplug it, put it in my closet. And what that does is it provides just a little bit of friction to where you might walk into that room and say, do I really want to go to the trouble of getting that console out of my closet and plugging it in just to play one time? Mm. And you can, the book teaches you can learn to throw these little kinks, these little bits of friction into your habits to make them go away quicker. And on the flip side, you can add good things to habits that you want to keep in order to make them better. And the, the, the most profound thing that I saw on that was he was talking about a guy who was making sales calls and he was, you know, he was making, he was barely reaching his quota for the day. And so what he decided to do was he took two jars and he filled one with paper clips and he left the other one empty. And every time he would make, he put 180 paper clips into that jar because that was the number of calls that he needed to make. And every single time he would make one, he would pick up that paper clip and drop it into the other jar. And that was all it took because as soon as he got done with that call, the act of moving that paper clip was so, it was such a dopamine hit to him because it was a physical act that symbolized what he just completed that it took no effort at all for him to fill that jar by the end of the day. So I would definitely say Atomic Habits is an incredible book to read because there's so much practical application in it for everyday life. You know, that's, I, I, I saw briefly like your, your stories about Atomic Habits. So I was like, I got to check that out. So I was thinking about that actually. That sounds really interesting. It's sort of, I have to check that out because it sounds like see, it's like setting seeds and traps to sort of like hack yourself in the right direction. I think that's really interesting. Um, it's in terms of if I were to re- recommend a book to all my followers, you know, when I get I, I've gotten a couple of book requests in my DMs, they ask for like sort of like a reading list. And I, I always ask, do you like fiction or nonfiction? And, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually pretty happy to see most people are asking for nonfiction and they're asking for more, you know, direct application. Um, that being said, if I had to pick one, I'm not going to pick a nonfiction book because, you know, last week I talked about, uh, James Gaddis's on grand strategy and Nassim Taleb's anti-fragile, which are two books I definitely recommend, but they're sort of displaying a core concept in its entirety, which is fantastic, but there's so many core concepts I could recommend. So I'm actually going to recommend is one of my two favorite books in Frank Herbert's Dune, which is um it's 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 being a, it's been made into a movie that's coming out in October of this year. Um, but in my opinion, it's the greatest science fiction book ever written. It was written in 1965. It's it's fiction, but it gets you to think, and it deals with a number of different questions of faith, a number of different questions of humanity, of tactics, of strategy, of morality it'll get the ball rolling for you to potentially take up new disciplines and potentially read want to read new books and ask new questions in life and it's a piece of fiction and it flows incredibly well so that would be my big recommendation honestly um next question is where do you get the inspiration for what you write is it planned or do you just wing it oh i like that uh Honestly, 
a lot of, it's a combination of the two in the sense that I used to have a like I, I say that like I've been doing this for years. Last week I had a schedule where I would wake up every morning and the first thing I would do is write my post for the day. And that became difficult as the topics became more limited. Uh, so at this moment, what I do is I'll wait until a thought hits me and I'll, because a lot of I'll, during the day, you know, several times I've been hit with a thought and I'll think I could write a post about that. And so I'll go and I'll write it in my notes on my iPhone. And then as soon as I get ready to make my next post, I can pull that up and select from a list. And another way that I like to do it is, and this may be a bit uh, unorthodox, but I quite like it, is I'll open up Google Images and I'll search nature or something of that along those lines. And I'll scroll through and I'll find until I, when I find a picture that speaks to me, I'll click on it and I'll just examine it for a few minutes. And I'll think, what is this saying? What is this? What concept can I draw from this image? Uh, my most, my second, I think it's my second re most recent post. Um, it was an image of the sun. And I saw that and my thought process was, well, the sun's going down in this image. That's kind of representative of life. That kind of shows, that's representative of how our lives are brief you know, memento mori, as you see on a lot of these in the bio of a lot of these accounts that we're talking about, that's something that people have to remember is death is inevitable. And so that's that's how I took that image as I saw it. And I said, well, this set, this is a perfect embodiment of life because, you know, in our life, the sun goes up and it stays for 80 years, but it's going to go down. It's not immortal. And every action that you take, you have to keep that in mind. If you want to live a successful life, you have to consider that your life is going to end someday. You know, something I talked about in that post was about how uh, you can be the strongest guy in the weight room. But if that's all people remember you for, you, you had a weak life. So uh, that's how I, I come up with my ideas is. I let them, I try to let them flow organically because if I sit in the sit uh, and try to just force ideas, it, it never works. It ends up being a half hearted post, and I usually end up not even trying to post it. That's really cool, man. I love the, I love the Google image bit in particular. Um, that, 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 that's something I might toy with, to be honest. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of what I do, um, similar to you, like I have, I do plan posts. I mean, I try. I actually, one of the things like similar to your New Year's resolution, tying in with the creation of Gallantry Fuel, um, about I, th I think two days before New Year's, I posted a story, and it was just like, <laughs> it, it was it was pretty aggressive, but I was basically saying like you know, expect all of these things from Blood and Rain next year. Like, expect pictures of my championship belt. <laughs> expect two, two, other, um, two other core sources of content. Expect two posts per day. Expect um, more music. Expect training logs. Expect 
And then I, I put expect Rollins output as in Henry Rollins and expect Usyk output as um, as in the the, the, the current um, or recently undisputed cruiserweight champion Alexander Usyk. Expect this kind of output. Um, so I, I do I do plan a lot of my posts and I, I always for the most part I post twice per day. Um, the way I sort of plan those, I have somewhat of a format for what I post certain days. Um, I mean, Mondays, I always have my Muay Thai Mondays. You know, this week it was Lurdisla. I had a great response from that from this uh, guy out in Spain now named Arno. Shout out to you, which I reposted the same day. Um, but yeah, I have, I have a general, and this sort of echoes some of the other things I've talked about in previous episodes of, I have a plan, a, st- a strategy I, I stick to 75% of the time, and then there's that 25% where I'm like, I'm winging it. So there will be days um, I have a post planned, um, and you know, it was like, the post may or may not be written, and I'm like, I absolutely don't want to write about that right now. So I'll put it back in the sort of posting hive to, to put at a later date. Um, and I'll, I'll go off of something else. Like today's post, uh, about the tree canopy in the ancient ways. Like I, I've won that. I had something completely different planned. Um, so it's, it's a similar thing to you. It's like, I do plan, there is a discipline to it, but there, there, there are times where you just like, Oh, I'm inspired by this. I'm going to write about it right now. You know? So I, I think it's a healthy balance for sure. Absolutely. Um, question number three or Dual question number three. How do you deal with deep-rooted insecurities, fears, etc.? Should you just watch them from afar or explore them? Oh, I remember seeing that and loving that question. Um, I find that when you have insecurities, the best way to deal with them is to put yourself in positions where you have to deal with them. Because, you know, humans are adaptable. Uh, We aren't just creatures that sit in a rut and never change. And, you know, I have a I I can actually add a lot of perspective into this because this was something that college has taught me. The biggest fear that I've ever had, and I still have it in a lot of different ways, is I always have had a fear of not being taken seriously. Um, I've been playing guitar for about nine years now, and I, I was in my school's talent show when I was a sophomore in high school. And when I got done, you know, I got, you know, the standard applause from a, a high school crowd. And I was so overcome with the thought that I messed up. They probably think I'm an idiot. They probably that I had to go sit in the bathroom. I closed the door on the stall and I just sat and stared at the door because I, I couldn't shake that feeling. And so what I would, what I ended up having to do was I came here to play basketball and I'm a walk on. I'm nowhere near as athletic as these other guys. And I had to almost be forced to not be taken seriously. You know, I screwed up so many times my first couple of weeks here and I still do, but it's helped me to understand that people don't avoid taking you seriously by the actions that you take. They avoid taking you seriously by how you carry yourself. And when I screw up now, I immediately 
find somebody wiser than me, whether it be a veteran player or a coach. And I say, Hey, what did I do wrong? Can you tell me how to fix it? And people begin to take you seriously when you, when they, when you show them that you want to get better. So I would say to answer the question, find a way to take your insecurity and explore it. Explore is a great word to use. Uh, Explore it. Try to learn where it comes from. Try to learn the origins of it, but at the same time, figure out ways to take it and use it to your advantage. Because now I make mistakes. I used to get crippled by my mistakes, but now taking my insecurity and fashioning it into something that serves me, now I take these mistakes and I learn from them and I go forward as opposed to cowering in my shell like I did in the bathroom stall. So definitely take take the difficulties that you have and explore them. Try to gain all the benefits that you can from them because everything in your life happens for a reason. And I hate I used to hate that quote, but it's so true when you think about it, because even if something bad happens or you have some deep rooted insecurity or fear, there's an opportunity there to grow in that it's up to you to exploit that and take that opportunity that you've been given as opposed to just letting that fear consume you and, you know, never going outside your comfort zone. Man, that's a, that's that's like a whole nine yards on that responding to each of each of a sort of a little more nuanced parts of this question. Um, You know, I, I like the part, too, where you were saying, like, I had to be in a situation where, you know, I was forced not to be taken seriously. Like, when I um, when I, when I I started auditioning for British drama schools, there were, like, you, you have to, um, you have to present, you know, one modern monologue and one classical monologue, and, like, nine times out of ten, it's Shakespeare. Um, and then, so, if, if you do well, then you get these recalls. You get recalled to the school to do, like, these workshops, like, a day in the life of blank drama school. And I remember it started with movement, movement class. And like, right, going to a spinal roll. And I was like, what the fuck is a spinal roll? <laughs> like, <laughs> and, like, everyone was wearing drama school blacks. And, I like, I had long hair at the time. And I have this long black hair to my shoulders and I'm wearing like this white, almost like Jesus-y looking Henley top. And I'm wearing Adidas pants. And everyone shows up all in black. And I'm like the American guy. Not just American, the Californian guy. In, <laughs> in quote-unquote reserved, elegant London. Who doesn't know what the hell he's doing. So it's like, man, there's, if, if you think you're going to go through life without being insecure or, or potentially not being taken seriously at any point. Good luck to you, man. Good luck to you. Um, that being said, to actually directly answer the question, how do you deal with deep rooted insecurities, fears, etc.? Should you just watch them or explore them? That depends on the situation you're talking about, in my opinion. So it's like, for example, t- take the time to explore your insecure, explore your insecurities inwardly, but don't do it so much that you're sort of wallowing in them. And don't do it so much that you're becoming your insecurities and you're constantly second-guessing yourself. Um, you know, and on the flip, like, explore them and control the instances. Like, if you're taking the plunge, like, for example, in your, in your basketball journey, like you said, 
don't be constantly exploring your insecurities day in and day out. Sometimes you have to set them aside. Sometimes you need to just watch them from afar because they're going to infringe upon your development and your skill that's making you insecure. It's going to infringe upon the um, the development in, in your pursuit that you, of this person that you want to become, this ideal person through this hardship and through this trial and error. So you need to set them aside at times in order to get the growth because being too aware of them can hinder your growth. Um, that's sort of my, you know, speaking on the benefits both of watching and exploring them. Oh, I love that. I, I, I especially like, uh, uh, I, I like the idea of not, not being consumed by them. Uh, and I definitely should have added that into what I said that, you know, it, you don't have to fix everything. There are some things that are just, you know, intrinsic about yourself that are, are just would take too much effort to try to change and are just better left avoided. So I, I completely agree with you. You've got to have a balance between trying to be the best version of yourself and understanding who you are as a person and the things that make you insecure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it is a balance. Like it's well, with all things like that's like the biggest sort of like Zen Buddhist, like everything's a balance. Like you hear that with a lot of people and they throw that straight <laughs> out of the wind. Like everything's a balance. Like, yeah, everything's a balance. Like what, what, what are you talking about? Like what, what are you even saying that about? But it, it's true. It, it, it's like the similar cliche of everything happens for a reason. It's like, everything's a balance. Like it's one of those fortune cookie post-it note, motivational poster type things, but it's true. It's absolutely true. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. This one's more technical question. Opinions on supplements for training. And see, that's another thing that I've had a discussion with my mentor about. Uh, Cause I, I came to him to ask him about that. Uh, you know, should I be taking these supplements? Um, not even for training uh, only, but also just for general nutrition. Something that he told me that was, that just stuck with me was, we didn't have supplements when we were, you know, hunter gatherers. We had food. We had the nature that was around us. And it, the thing is about all of these different sorts of supplements is you can get these things from nature. You can create them, you know, you can create uh, the effects of almost any drug in your brain with enough practice. So, from my perspective, I avoid them and I'm not, I'm absolutely no, by no means condemning anyone who does. I tend to feel more connected to myself when the nutrients that I'm getting are coming from my food and from my own body. But at the same time, I can completely understand if uh, supplementing is something that you need for, you know, filling diet holes that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get or, you know, anything like taking a pre-workout or anything like that. I can definitely see the benefits there. So to answer the question, it, it's two-sided. Uh, my perspective is I prefer to avoid them, but at the same time, I've seen tons of people who are seeing the benefits of supplementing and, you know, 
pre-workouts and creatine and things like that. So I, I say that's a that's a follow your heart kind of question. Do what feels the best Absolutely. for you. That, this this one's like it's it's so there's such a wide range of like applications for this question with supplements involved. Like it's it's you are a master of your own destiny in that regard. I um you know I'll start first by saying don't glorify supplements as like the holy grail. Like I I'm I'm sure everyone listening to this who has taken supplements at the, in the beginning of their, you know, strength or athletic career, they looked at whey protein or creatine or glutamine or pre-workout. I was like, this is the, this is it. Like I am going to evolve as an athlete. Like through, through this, I will become Goku. Like, nah, like, um, like that, uh, that, the classic, uh, Popeye opening the can of spinach. Exactly. It's like, like man, you still got a lot of work to do, but um, so it's in terms of supplementation, I can under I can wholeheartedly understand the the school you come from. Like Evander Holyfield was on Joe Rogan, I think two years ago, and he talked about he's like my mom always told me like if you can't have something consistently, don't become reliant on it. And I was like, man, that's some that's some old school Southern wisdom right there, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, and, I love it. I love yeah, it. I, I have to agree with that. So if like if you can't consistently get a supplement, like don't start, in my opinion. Like don't be like don't be like, ooh, I got this massage gun. Like that that can be in a supplement itself. Like, ooh, I got this mm, I got this amazing pre workout and I get this sick pump. Like, no, I if if you can't consistently have it, you're gonna you're gonna be looking at your workouts like, Man, if I had that pre workout, I'd have an even better workout. Like that's that's a that's a head trip and a half. On the flip side of things, oh my it's, goodness, it's, it's it's a massive head trip. Um, I have to add, I have to, I just have to add in from what you just said, the absolute hatred that I have for gym oh, lingo. Yeah. Like when people come in and like, oh, I just got my my max and my man, this this light makes my pump look so yeah. good. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so I'm sorry, but I just I had to throw that in there. That aggravates me to it's, no it's end. Like, hey man, you're you're in the way of me seeing my reps because you're posing your veiny C four fueled pump. Can you get the fuck out of the way? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's supplements. Like, if if you're a body, if you're a competitive bodybuilder, there, there's an immense amount of of you know use for supplements. I'll say the same thing with endurance athletes. I'll even say the same thing for combat sports athletes. Um, but I, I think that a, a good counterbalance to sort of potentially dive into um, as a counter to what Evander Holyfield said, I, I, I forget exactly what ad it was for, but I saw an ad on Instagram saying like the reason for supplementation these days is the quality of the food that we're getting is compromised 90% of the time due to things like pesticides, due to things like synthetic, um, like, like GMOs and like when things are written as organic, but they're not necessarily organic, like there's a caveat. So it's like the, the nutritional value of things that are, you know, that, that we, that we, that we perceive or we understand that a lot of certain foods have could potentially be diminished and stripped by, by this sort of artificial world that we're you know, unfortunately living in at this point with unregulated pesticides. So I can understand that perspective too. So I, I, 
And, and that's just me touching on something I've watched in passing and something I'm certainly going to do more research on and potentially talk about in the future podcast. Um, but that's sort of like my working sort of both sides in terms of supplementation, you know? Um, right. Next one. Why should religion exist? Is it really necessary to follow one? This is definitely a, a divisive topic if there ever was one. Uh, for me, growing up in a religious household, it was almost, um, you know, not to contradict myself, but for me, it was almost not an option. That was something that I kind of had to be uh, a part of. And, you know, obviously I grew into it and I grew to accept my own faith as my own, not my parents. But anyway, I think religion in itself it creates a sort of it creates a morality to follow. Uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said this, but he was talking about how uh, how morality is a concept that we have to attribute to something greater than ourselves, because he said if you are if you see a, a crooked line. You have to have seen a straight line to know what a crooked line looks like. And in that sense, you have to there has to be a moral standard giver for there to be morals in the world, because if you look at nature, there's no morals. They you know, there are so many species who as soon as their babies are born, they're eaten. So, I mean, there's no real moral standard in the world apart from humans. And so that's where I see uh, that's where I feel religion the most is in my moral standard, because I, I don't understand how we could have that without some sort of higher power. Um, as far as it being necessary, obviously, from my religious perspective, I would say yes, because, you know, I don't want you <laughs> to go to hell. But at the same time, you know, if you take a step back and you just look at it from an objective standpoint, I think it is because if you spend your life and, and that's not to knock any of the atheists who, are, who might be listening to this or people who don't follow a Christian religion. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's important to have something greater than yourself to follow, you know, even if now I'm not advocating for any other religions because I believe that what I follow is the correct one. But at the same time, I don't disrespect anyone that follows different uh, religions, different backgrounds. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I've met so many people who are of different backgrounds, of different religions. And they're amazing people. They have amazing morals. And so I would say that it is important. It is something that uh, is necessary for growth, uh, at least to some degree. Because it gives you something greater than yourself to look to, to look to for guidance, to look to for assistance in your daily life, whether that be through prayer or meditation or a reading of a text or something like that. Yeah, I mean, you you hit like you you and I had a discussion over the phone too about apologetics, and for those of you who don't know, like in the at least in the Christian world, um, apologetics is basically like logically defending your faith, like not 
not using, for example, the Bible to argue the Bible, like that's in a completely detached, like apples to apples debate, like that's not effective. That's not effective in communication. Um, but yeah, it's like, I think, I think, so for example, I went, I don't know if I mentioned this on any previous podcast, but I, um, you know, I went, I went through like a four year period of voluntary celibacy and while being a bartender and, you know, being a, be, being in bars, you know, pe- people were trying to sleep with each other left and right. That's sort of the nature that's one of the, for better, for worse, that's one of the elements of, of the environment of bar. Um, and so I had all these coworkers that saw me saying no a lot. I'm like, well, what's up with this? And I had, you know, one boss of mine who really just, you know, just could not keep it in his pants to save his life. You know, he said to me, he's like, man, I'd be all over that. And, you know, truth be told, this guy was married. So I was a bit personally disgusted, to be honest. But he said to me, he's just like, man, you know, it's just things take over where animals are probably like, well, that's not actually true. I mean, yeah, we are. We're, we're biological beings. But what makes us sort of the apex predator in the animal kingdom is the fact that we have a conscience. That's where the need for morality originates from. So, you know, before even getting into, or, or without even getting into being, you know, being an or, essentially an Orthodox Christian, um, you know, is it net like, is it necessary to follow one? So if, if you're, if you don't even want to deal with, you know, matters of after matters with ascension of consciousness, things of that nature, just as a code to conduct yourself to a potential higher power to be like, we are not the only ones. There had to be like a constant in terms of creation. Like I, I feel like most logically minded people can wrap their head around the concept of something doesn't come from nothing. There has to be one grand constant. Um, and we're here, we're beings with a consciousness, like we're going to descend into absolute chaos without morals. We're going to descend into absolute chaos without reason and justice and logic and helping your fellow man grow and, and, and guiding your fellow man to a greater life that will have a greater impact on others. It's very night and day of a visceral reaction when we've been wronged by someone and when we've been fostered by someone like that visceral reaction i feel like can be a gateway toward learning morality and potentially learning religion whatever religion that may be so that's in terms of you know why should religion exist so that's that's why that's that's a that's a pretty good route to why and is it necessary to follow one i say at the very least it's necessary to follow a moral code or else we will just become animals we'll just become barbarians and we turn into a completely murderous, just twisted state of humanity. Oh, absolutely. Um, that, 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 I mean, that's what, like you said, like that—that's without getting into the Christian realm of things, you know, like without saying, well, A, B, C, D, F, and G about the Bible and you know, origins of Christ and whatnot. Um, right, right, right. Exactly. We've only got a couple hours. <laughs> uh, you know. For, for more divisive questions, uh, are there superior cultures or are all cultures equally great? Now, this, this could be potentially taboo and go, gone on the wrong path, but I'm sure you have a very uh, balanced answer for this one. <laughs> I, I can definitely understand how this could uh, turn some people away. Uh, for me, 
when you consider all the different cultures of the world, uh, and, and, you know, like I say, I'm not very old. I don't have a lot of experience with tons of different cultures. But the way I see it, I, I feel that a culture is defined by its morality. Um, you know, there were cultures back in, you know, medieval times who some might consider great but at the same time if someone in that culture stole a piece of bread they might have their arm cut off and so i find that if there was a superior culture and i don't think there is because i i have yet to find if there is i would love to learn about it but i have yet to find a culture that perfectly balances these two things this this perfect culture would have to balance morality with virtues and honor and in a lot of different places you'll find you know in america we 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 claim to have this this basis of morality where we say well we have this this declaration of independence and this constitution that lay out the rights that we are given and the morality and the moral code that we are meant to follow. And, and, you know, on the surface, that seems great. You know, everyone in America is free. Uh, We all have equal opportunity to do the things that we want to do, you know, but at the same time, we live in a very uh, degenerate culture, for lack of a better word, in a lot of different areas, you know, you know, through drugs, alcohol, you know, Netflix, porn, anything like that. So, I would say there isn't one yet if a culture were to arise that would perfectly blend morality and virtue, then that would be it. You know, I, I have essentially pretty much the same answer as you, um, you know, perfection is a hell of a standard to reach. You know what I mean? And look, look historically, any culture that, you know, is sort of on the rise and flexing its muscles in terms of colonialism or religious fanaticism or what have you, they eventually all fell. Right. So if you were so perfect, you would not fall. So it's like even if a culture at some point in time has its day, you know, it, it has eventually diminished. It has eventually fallen. So to say you're superior, you know, maybe maybe you had a certain air of superiority militarily or creatively or artistically or what have you for a certain period of time, but years, decades, centuries, millennia, a lot of it doesn't stand. So, and then in, in the sort of getting briefly into relativism, you know, certain cultures are, are good at certain things, and a lot of sometimes it has to do with the terrain. Sometimes it has to do with the surrounding religion. Sometimes it has to do with the history involved, the resources they had at hand. It's like why are why are Dagestani MMA fighters so incredibly tough? Well, like in Dagestan, like where Habib Nurmagomedov is from, and Islam Makhachev, and all these MMA fighters who are now sort of on the rise. They're essentially living like it's still the 1600s. Like, I, I say that with a, a lot of exaggeration, but they're living in a way that's, like, far more primitive and far more primal and requires a lot more toughness. 
So it's like that environment is why they're so dominant right now. What if Dagestan gets gentrified? That's going to diminish over time. And some other culture is going to be, you know, propped up as the tougher culture, toughest culture in mixed martial arts. So it's, it's sort of relativism through the, the echoes of time. So I, like, I agree with you. I don't think there is a superior culture. And if, the, if there is going to be one, it's going to be, have to be soundly perfect in every aspect of honor and morality and creativity and work ethic. That's a tall order. It's an incredibly tall order. Um, but I completely agree. Definitely. Uh, how to incorporate the esoteric into my workout. So maybe as for some people would call esoteric, some people would call spiritual, some people call religious. Do you, you know, how, how do you, how do you practice this if you do it all? I like this concept and it's something I had never really considered, but you know, it's something that I almost kind of do uh, subconsciously, you know, I, I think one of the ways that I would approach this is to take what you're doing in the weight room or, you know, in whatever facet you're training and to see how this is going to affect you in the long run. So as I train, you know, I see the, the developments that I, to use a gym lingo term, I see the gains that I'm making and it, it it's almost it's liberating because I get to see these gains that I'm making. I see the chiseling of my body in motion and it makes me want to go more. It makes me want to keep working and it makes me want to push myself as much as I can because you start to get addicted to this feeling of constant improvement. And, and I think that's very you know esoteric in itself, you know. That's not that's not something that a lot of people would say is addicting. You know, it, it, it's it's hard to say that taking 50 pounds and pushing it up with one arm is addicting. But at the same time, it is when you start to see the development that you're making. You know, I, I started really seriously working out at the start of this year. I had done plenty of weight training I started to see, uh, you know, rapid gain that I, I think they call it the newbie gains, uh, very quickly. And I started getting addicted to that feeling. And it, it was something that I, I was beginning, I was beginning to crave taking that, uh, progress image, which I didn't post because, uh, I, I don't, I really don't like people who post, uh, gym photos, but that's a tangent for, as a tangent for another time. Uh, <laughs> but but I got addicted to this feeling because I was seeing the constant progress that I was making. So that's what I would say is incorporate uh, the progress and the, the concept of progress into your workouts and begin to use that as motivation in a sense. I, I, you know, progress is addicting. So I, and I, I remember doing my first noob gains, like, oh, I'm going to look like the, uh, the, the Green Arrow at the time was like the big popular TV superhero. Oh, I'm going to look like Green Arrow in about six weeks at this rate. Can't wait. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> um, which is absolutely ridiculous to think about now. Um, but yeah, so also, also one thing I think is interesting too, you mentioned in your, your meditation piece that I read at the beginning – 
about the body scan at the end of your meditation will help you, um, you know, better focus on the parts of your body that you're working out. You know, it's like it may not necessarily be esoteric within your workout, but an esoteric practice affecting your workouts. Um, and then uh, to answer the, to answer this question personally, I sort of weave in and out of incorporating the esoteric in my workouts. Um, sometimes it's 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 just very just you know earthbound for lack of a better word in terms of it's like i i I gotta go in you know i'm in somewhat of a rush sometimes for whatever reason of given circumstances of time so like the only thing ahead of me is a workout so i'm just gonna very like check things off a list like did this lift did this sprint did this stretch and got out um but when i do have the time like there were times where i'd get off get off work at the bar in uh, in san francisco at 3 30 and then i'd go to the gym at four and I'm the only guy in there and I'd have my headphones in and I'm playing, you know, some very elevated meditative music and certain visualizations of like old strong man, like St. Christopher is the, the patron saint of travel and the strong. Um, so I'd have like visualizations of that. Um, and I would sort of, uh, there are other times I'll imagine like during my conditioning workouts, like sort of like summoning like a storm. Like less less for like this sort of like magical perspective, but more so in terms of like cultivating certain essences. It's like sometimes you watch an athlete, like I talked about this with Kobe. Like there's a certain essence of like an assassin that Kobe has that most players in, in that sport would never would even think to cultivate because they're just thinking of basketball as basketball. Um so you know I weave in and out of the esoteric. I think this is this is more of a personal practice for people to figure out. Like this, this MM, this uh, Muay Thai fighter Kevin Ross. Uh, sometimes he gets the questions of like, "How do I prepare myself mentally for fights?" Like, I don't know. It's like I know how I do it, but like I'm like, "That might not work for you. You need to figure that out for yourself." So not to be not to have not to be a complete cop out here, but. I think this is a personal practice. You're going to need to find your certain triggers, your certain visualizations, your certain musics, your certain um, rituals that are going to help cultivate that. Um, another more technical question. How often should you train flexibility from a martial arts perspective? And uh, I'll, we'll say for your sake, um, we'll say for your perspective, rather, from like a, a, a more team sport right. perspective uh, than basketball. That. I have a we have a strength trainer that works with us uh, constantly to to help us with any sorts of weaknesses that we have. And, you know, coincidentally, flexibility is one that I definitely have a weakness in. Uh, I, I think I can attribute it to the rapid growth that I experienced. I didn't have a lot of time to really get used to my body because it was growing so rapidly uh, for me. I, I try to stretch every day. Uh, and I try to, I mean, I mean, sometimes multiple times a day because it, it's not something that you, I don't think stretching is something that you can really do too much as far as frequency. Now, I've read lots of pieces and heard from my trainer and others that, you know, holding a stretch for two minutes is generally a bad idea, but there's no real, there's no real qualms about stretching two or three times a day and I feel like if you as you become more limber I've experienced this myself as you become more limber 
you start to feel more in tune with your body because your reaction times are quicker. You're stronger. You're quicker on your feet. Um, you know, for me, I, I've never been much of a vertical jumper, but now as I've developed my flexibility, you know, my hips and my hamstrings and my calves, uh, my vertical jump has increased significantly since I first got here. So as far as frequency goes, I, I would say as often as you can, as often as you can squeeze in, because there's no there's no consequences from my own experience to stretching however often you feel you need to. I completely agree. Um, so, I mean, to preface, I despise stretching. Like, so, like I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, it's my least favorite thing my least favorite part of my regimen like bag work sprints you know deadlifts like sign me up stretching like oh god like my my fiance is the big yogi um you know she's i, I wish i had the passion for you like a fraction of the passion for yoga that she has um but uh in terms of stretching so i i reached my peak flexibility and admittedly, I'm nowhere near my peak flexibility right now, but that also has to do with a, a, a lower back injury I sustained that I've recovered from. Um, the most flexible <clears throat> I became was I, I started training Muay Thai at the same time that I was in drama school. Um, and in drama school, the whole idea is like you need to be just so in control of the body. Like you need to be, quote unquote, in control of the body so the body is not in control of the actor. Um so that way, when you're not when you're on stage, you're not like doing some weird fidgety thing that's essentially breaking character and therefore breaking the suspended disbelief for the audience. Um, so we we stretch like three to four times per day, um, and that certainly carried over. Like I got I got pretty close to full splits. I'm, I have a regimen right now where I'm trying to achieve full splits that has been proven to be pretty effective. Um, but uh, I became the most flexible by like having to stretch from drama school like three or four times a day. And then when I left drama school and, you know, I was far less disciplined about stretching, um, and, you know, just really going, going absolutely nuts on the weights. I get into sparring. I'm like so stiff and like my hands are dropping and I'm not fully extending my jab and I'm getting absolutely destroyed on the outside. Um, and the only effective place I'm working in is the inside because I have to shorten the punches and shorten the elbows and knees uh, from that range. Um, stretching is essential. It really is. There's no way around it. Stretch, um, speaking in the second part from a martial arts perspective, um, stretch in every sort of plane of movements because you could be like, you know, like I'm getting close to, you know, front splits in this regard for my kicks, but you know, from a side splits, you could be absolutely tight. It could be your hamstrings. It could be tight. So stretch every part of the body and stretch, um, stretch through every plane of motion and, and like you said in my opinion like don't hold the stretcher too long but you know you can have three or four times a day where you're you know doing a certain amount of stretches or you can have like one collective time where you're sort of hitting all the marks depending on your schedule i don't i don't i don't think um like you said i don't i don't think there's a detriment to training flexibility three or four times a day and i'm speak you and right, i are both speak right. from experience on that at this point um so th- this was an interesting one. It's like the, the penultimate question, um, and you and I discussed this. And th- this this is a concept that 
I um, am recently familiar with due to, you know, creators like Solbra and creators uh, like Forrest Munden um, and Nature Pilled, um, you know, ideas on aesthetic and art warfare. And to preface, for those of you who are not familiar, there's a sort of growing belief and um, I wouldn't really call it a belief, but a concept that to do something beautiful, to exhibit something beautiful or striking is an act of rebellion towards for lack of a better term, like the powers that be keeping it and keeping a hold on like a negative collective, like it was we were speaking of before, like a lot of negative collective things are very ugly in nature and a sort of rebellion is to do something beautiful or to be sort of beautiful or be striking or be elegant. Um, so the question is, what are your ideas on aesthetic and art warfare? Something that's, you know, really interesting about that is, um, you know, back in the sixties, they had, you know, the Woodstock, uh, concert and, you know, I don't support a, a much at all about that, but at the same time, they were using this music, this like rock and roll medium as a way to rebel against, you know, the establishment. And so, I mean, <laughs> I have this gallantry fuel page that I use and I scroll through the pages that I follow and it's just, I'm bombarded with this aesthetic beauty from all of the images that I see. And it almost works subconsciously. Like, you know, if you, if you do much research into subliminal messaging in advertising or in, you know, television or movies and things, images can have a powerful effect. And I think if you tailor what you see to fit the image of yourself that you want to have, whether that be, you know, focus on beauty or focus on physical, uh, physical beauty, or even just art in itself or nature, you'll begin to embody those characteristics in the sense that you'll see images that fit who you want to be. They'll fit what you want to accomplish, what you want to see yourself doing or being or feeling. So I, I would say that if this is something that you feel you can have an impact on, go for it. You know, if you're posting, it, it, you don't even have to make an account like this. If you want to just take your own personal Instagram account and just, slowly begin to add things that are beautiful in a sense that they're something that you created or something that you saw that fits the aesthetic that you want to either create or give to other people. I, I think that's as gallant of a task as anyone could undertake. It's certainly a way to give the old proverbial middle finger to the establishment of degeneracy that we're kind of surrounded with on the daily basis. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it, it's, it's an interesting question to begin with because, you know, for better or for worse, it's, it sort of makes you start thinking. It's like, well, art warfare, like, well, okay, war connotates we're fighting against something. And like we said, you know, potentially the negative version of the collective, you know, and then that raises the question is like, well, like you said, this collective of degeneracy, 
was that organic or is that orchestrated? And that can get you into some weird rabbit holes of, you know, secret societies or whatnot or government conspiracy or, you know, I, that that's not what this podcast is about, to be honest. Um, however, certain aspects of degeneracy for better or for worse, have been selling media. They've been sort of with like sometimes what people call like the lowest common denominator of mankind, not necessarily in the sense of the people it's catering to, but it sort of scratches that itch in the lower energies, like this initial instant gratification for better or for worse. So I think you, you do need to be aware of your environment in terms of, like you said, that programming, like what programming you're taking in. So this first step is sort of being conscious of that in, in, in the form of aesthetics, what aesthetics you're taking in. Um, and surrounding yourself with the aesthetics, like you said, that help cultivate that ideal image of you, that higher, highest self of you. That being said, I've also seen a culture tied to like, to the sort of aesthetic movement of like, you know, let's say a person is, is not born with the best look. It's like almost like, well, ugly people, quote unquote, like to, to put it blunt, like ugly people are wrong or sometimes like less elegant, but more brutal aesthetics are unnecessary. I don't necessarily believe that to be wholeheartedly true. Um, once again, on the flip side, you need to cultivate the morally highest aesthetic, the aesthetic that is going to lift humanity highest. That's, again, the positive part of the collective. Um, you know, I think that with, with aesthetics, we should strive for quite a bit of beauty, but we also need to understand the substance within that beauty, not just beauty for beauty's sake. Because beauty, like aesthetics, can be manipulated by Hollywood celebrities that could be sharing it, be using beautiful aesthetics to share images that are ultimately detrimental, to share ideas that are ultimate, ideas and behaviors that are ultimately detrimental. So don't think that beauty is the end all be all. Oftentimes, beauty can be a reflection of something that's inwardly beautiful, but sometimes there are, you know, wolves wearing sheep's clothing. So it's important to be aware of that aspect of this sort of movement that's going on. I think overall, art warfare, art in general, makes life more fulfilling and makes life more liberal and makes life more expressive. So I think ultimately it's positive, but there's always a caveat. Certainly. And the last question. I found this to be the most interesting question, the most intense question, the most quote-unquote blood and rain question out of all of them i like it i like it <laughs> um and I'm, I'm i'm interested to hear the, the you know quote-unquote gallant perspective on this because it's an interesting one it, 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 it's certainly a gray area i'm gonna trademark that by the way <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad to hear it man I'm glad to hear it um is it okay to lose everything to gain everything oh that's uh that is a million-dollar question right there. I, I remember wrestling with that a little bit as I saw it. 
if you've ever watched uh, Vsauce on YouTube before, some of your viewers may know who I'm talking about. He did he did an episode several years back, and he was talking about uh, how people disappear. And he was talking about how there are guides on how to do this. You can take your life, find every aspect where you could be traced, cut it out, move somewhere else, start up a brand new life. And it's not as difficult as people would have you believe. And that was something that struck me is like, what, what could happen in your life that could be so detrimental or so monumentally disappointing that you have to start a brand new life. But at the same time, I I don't think there's ever a point where it's too late to change. And in that sense, I think, I think the overwhelming answer to this question is yes, because there are people who, I mean, not to get too overly morbid, but there are people who who teeter on the brink of death, on the brink of suicide, and they can't understand that they're, they're not forced into the life that they're living. There are other options. There are other ways out of this rut that they're stuck in. So I, I think if you're coming to this question as someone who you know, is in a dark place and who needs, you know, who, who just has to get out of it, then I, I think you need to go for it because if you continue to, you know, the, you know, this is a quote that's thrown around all the time. Definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. If you think that in your situation, you are not growing and, and you don't see any potential for growth where you are, there's nothing wrong with getting out of it. And I think in, in the general sense or in, in the general uh, population, it, it's not so much about losing everything as it is losing something. Like you might lose your relationship with one of your parents or, you know, you might lose a friend over something that you do. But you have to consider what you're going to gain in the process of losing that thing. And if it's something that's worth it to you, you know, by all means, go for it. I I don't think that you should ever be constricted to having to do all the things that you do on a daily basis without having the opportunity to, you know, jump ship, as it were. And, And I don't think you should do this, you know, willy nilly. There's another, another Southern phrase. I think that's two for the episode, uh, <laughs> but y- you shouldn't do this constantly because there are going to be times, you know, like we talked about with the insecurities, there's going to be times where you have to sit and you have to face the difficulties of your life. But if you reach a point where that's not an option and, and you have to either get out or just suffer, do it, get out find something more fulfilling for your life there there's nothing there's no shame in jumping ship in that regard yeah i i you know you you pretty much have had the same answer that i do um you know is, is it okay to lose everything to gain everything man okay well first of all that's a very situational it, it, like it really depends like not, not again not to use a stereotypical cop-out but 
what, what, what if everything surrounding you at the moment is like this detrimental hole? Like you're in a hole, you're in a haze. Your relationships are toxic and wallowing and detrimental. Your daily practice is... I don't like using the word toxic nowadays because it's like... I feel like that's like the buzzword of like, mm, this is toxic. Because like, is it toxic or is this just something that you are finding too difficult or finding hits a little too close to home for you and you don't want to deal with it so you're calling it toxic like is it truly toxic um but using that word toxic you know you 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 could be in 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 that truly toxic environment there there, there could be a, a situation where you losing everything isn't really losing everything Losing everything is gaining everything because you you pull like you said you're pulling yourself out of the situation, whether geographically or situationally, or both. That you are gaining everything. You're gaining a road to your highest self potentially. You're gaining or just just a new start to make some big drastic changes that are going to benefit not only yourself, but benefit you know, many others around you down the line. And in terms of perspective wise, and this, this is why I'm sort of treading carefully without just saying yes or no. Um, because you, you could be in a situation that for many is a very positive situation, like whether that be a job or whether that be a living situation. But for where you're trying to go and who you are and who you're trying to manifest to become, it could be detrimental. So you need to say, I'm going to pull myself out of the situation and cultivate another situation over there. And at first, your parents or your other family members or your friends or maybe even your coworkers that you have a good relationship aren't going to understand and may even feel hurt, you know, that you're making this exit. But then you go off and you do what you need to do and you come back the best, a better, higher version of yourself. And... If people truly care about you and they see that you've made this change in yourself, if they're really friends, then you're like, wow, okay, I understand why you did what you needed to do. Like, why you, why you went ahead and made that drastic change. The people who are going to have, like, a certain idea, like, mm, you have to stay within that idea of yourself. Like, I, this is my idea of you. And you just stick to that or else I'm not going to like you. It's like, well... Maybe maybe they're, you know, potentially different, you know, they're a temporary person in your life in the sense that like, oh, we had a similar commonality in this. And, you know, our only, you know, the only reason for us having a relationship was that commonality. Now that that commonality is gone, you know, maybe it's time to move on. On the flip side of things, if they're a true fan and you have more aspects besides that's just commonality and you have a friendship that has evolved or relationship with your parents that has evolved, they're going to be like, wow, this is, this is who you are now. And this is an, this is amazing. And they're going to want to get to know these new best parts of yourself. So as a general question, is it okay to lose everything to gain everything? Um, and and to, to, to cap off with, with your sort of last point, when you answered, um, like there's that expression, like creation and destruction are the same. Don't 
don't look at a don't look at a positive situation and look at it as shackles when it could potentially not be. Like be be truly detached and truly logical and and listen to the visceral in terms of discerning whether or not you need to lose everything to gain everything. You may just need to lose a couple of things to gain everything or lose a couple of things to gain certain things. The whole lose everything to gain everything, I feel like, is reserved for truly extreme, extenuating circumstances. Um, right. That being said, if you are in those circumstances, go face first. Go face, absolutely face first. Like you said, you need to do it. And I would absolutely agree. Wow. <laughs> Sawyer, it's been an immense pleasure, man. I mean, I, I, I knew this was uh I knew this was gonna be, you know, a great conversation just from you know the, the brief phone conversations we had before, but I didn't I didn't know it was God, we've been, you know, close to almost two hours. And to me at least the time has flown by and it's it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, man. Oh man, I couldn't agree more. Uh this is this is really the first time I've had, uh, you know, somebody who's, you know, striving for the same goals in in, in a general sense that I am, uh, to be able to bounce ideas off of. Um, be, being in the situation that I'm in, like I talked about before, it, it's difficult to find that. So, man, it's it's absolutely been a pleasure. Likewise, brother. Likewise. How do uh for the listeners? How do they find you? Uh, what what mediums of social media are you at, and what's what's the full tag so they can uh, go and follow your content? It is Gallantry, G A L L A N T R Y. I know that because I had to spell it underscore underscore fuel on Instagram. Um, there may be a point where I release my personal information, but for right now, I'm going to try to keep those two separate. Uh, but for now, you know. Go check me out there. If it's something you like, definitely consider uh, giving me a follow. And uh, something I like to add to anybody that I talk to about this sort of thing is please do not be afraid to offer constructive criticism. Uh, this is definitely a learning curve for me because this is some this is territory I've never stepped into. So any any criticism any feedback is good i mean even if it's not constructive even if it's like hey that last post was garbage <laughs> that's fine because I, I can take that and i can take that and use it to fix what i post next that's awesome i mean most i mean you don't even see too many content creators even saying that and i would have to say uh for all your listeners and people who follow blood and rain uh my dms are always welcome to all forms of criticism likewise um, so we can help, you know, better serve you as creators. Certainly. Awesome. Guys, go follow Gallantry Fuel. You will not be disappointed. There are a lot of posts like the one I read uh, at the beginning of this podcast. Um, he's putting out some phenomenal content, so go, go check him out. And, guys, uh, this, is, this is episode four. I mentioned before at the, at the first podcast – that this there will be at least 50 podcasts in a one every week, Thursday, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I mentioned that there probably be some bonus ones. After this first collaboration, guys, I can wholeheartedly say there's going to be a lot more than 50 podcasts <laughs> this year. <laughs> it has been an absolute pleasure 
for me. And it's, it's great to, you know, not be the only one sort of speaking these concepts into the ether, being able to bounce them back and forth with someone else for you guys to listen to with all the subtle thoughts and nuances. Um, so expect more in the future, expect more collaborations. Uh, you've probably seen on the Instagram story, uh, that there are a number of at least conversations that are starting to get these things in the works. So as always, guys, until then, good night and good storms. Thank you.